Matthew, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time we have to gather around as your people, to gather around the cross, to gather around the table, to gather around your word. And as we open your word, we pray that you would use it to change us and transform us. We thank you for your son. We don't know how best to thank you for your son other than to try our hardest to follow him. We ask that you would help us to do that. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So the truth is that telling the truth is not always the safest thing to do. You can frustrate people, you can confuse people, you can disappoint people, you can offend people. My younger sister Rachel, from the time she first learned to talk, had a knack for asking honest, truthful questions that got her in trouble. It didn't help that she asked those questions loud enough for other people to hear her as she was talking about them. So I remember walking through the mall with my family, and Rachel's five or six years old, and she points out loudly and says, Daddy, why does that man's ears, why are they so huge? Or why does this boy smell so bad? Or why is that lady smoking? Doesn't she know it's going to make her sick? And all of those questions were honest questions. The guy did have ears that were slightly above average size, I guess. I'm sure he didn't want anyone pointing that out. The little guy could have used the bath right after soccer practice before his family dragged him to the mall. And there was a lady smoking just outside of the mall entrance. But she, she just didn't have this sense that there are certain places where, where you can ask honest questions. And then there are other places where speaking the truth like that can get you in trouble. And it's not just Rachel that struggles with knowing where and when and how it's going to be socially acceptable to be honest. All right, we've all learned that because we have been brutally honest with someone before, and it turned out that they really didn't want us to do that. They, they didn't really want us to talk like that. They might have even asked our opinion, but we find out once we give our opinion they wanted us to agree with them, and they wanted us to affirm what they already thought. And so we, we've all had those moments, those kinds of conversations, those kinds of interactions. And when you get it wrong, it doesn't feel good, and so you learn to start to shade the truth. When people ask you, hey, hey, what do you think about this? Now, it's, it's one thing if somebody says, I got this edgy new haircut, what do you think? Or there's this movie coming out, do you want to see it too? Or are you up for some sushi? You may want to tell the truth about that one. But we, we all have moments, right, where someone asks us a pretty surface level question. And we've got to wrestle with, how honest am I going to be in this moment? Is it worth hurting somebody's feeling? Is it, is it worth disagreeing? It's, it's probably not, so I'm just going to say whatever I need to say that's polite and then move on. But if somebody asks you a real question, like, should I take this job? You, you can't just shade the truth a little bit to be polite, especially if you know them well and care about them. If if somebody you love says, I, I think I might marry him, what, what do you think I should do? You, that, that's a soul-deep question that deserves a deeply honest answer. 
But here's the thing. We've gotten those kinds of conversations wrong too. We've spoken the truth in ways that, that just were too hard for someone else to actually hear, to receive, to accept. And so we get nervous then. And, and once you figure out you're, kind, you're, you're having that kind of conversation where someone's asking you that kind of deep, life-altering question, you, you start to get nervous because the stakes are getting really high at that point. And, and it's not just a question of, of whether or not you should be honest. It's a, it's a wrestling match internally of how best to be honest, right? How to have a, a gentleness and a kindness in the midst of telling somebody something that maybe it, it's not going to be what they want to hear, as you get to know people really well, you have a sense before you speak to them whether they're going to want to hear what you have to say to them or not. And, and in that kind of, of inner balancing act of, okay, here we go. They've asked something really important and I've, I've really, I've got to put all my cards on the table, but I've got to find a way to do that where they can hear it. That's where all of this gets really challenging. And frankly... It's easier to not tell the whole truth. Now, we don't tend to talk like that. We don't tend to admit that. But we all struggle with it. And I think what we have to wrestle with in all of that is, if we love somebody, if we truly love somebody, if we care about them, then we, we need to find ways to lovingly share the truth with them even if it's going to be difficult, even if it's going to be challenging. I don't think we should ever give ourselves permission to be ugly in spirit when we tell somebody the truth. I don't think we should ever feel justified in making somebody else feel bad about themselves or harshly judged with the truth that we're, we're speaking to them. But I think, I think we know that. And I think for the most part, we do a pretty good job of avoiding doing that, except for in our lowest moments. It's when we have to find a way, we, we've decided, I want to tell you the truth, but I don't know how to tell you this truth, that things get really, really challenging and difficult. I want you to think about these kinds of situations. Think about somebody that, that you love dearly asking you, hey, you know, I don't know how to say this to you, but it seems like you're either always looking at your phone or watching TV or on a computer and you're never really talking to me. What's going on? How, how do you respond in that moment to that question? Do you get defensive and start to list all the ways that they're on their phone and they watch TV sometimes and they have that same struggle? Or do you listen for the true question they're asking you? If somebody says, look, I, I feel like there, there's something off. Did, did I do something wrong? Did, did I say something? Did, did I mess up and not know it? Would you, would you tell me? What do you say in that moment? Do you just, oh, no, no, no. There's, there's, I, this is, you think in the whole time, this is going to be way too awkward. I, I don't even know if I, I want to try to fix this right now. And I just, or, or do you tell them? As carefully and as, as lovingly as you can, do you tell them the truth that they're asking for? If someone, let's say your spouse or a parent or a brother or a sister, 
says to you, are, are we going to be able to get past this? Are, are we going to be able to, to fix what's going on between us and still like each other when that's over? Are we still going to want to spend time together, to, to share life together? It's in that kind of question, I think, where we start to realize that it's so difficult and so challenging at times to speak the truth to other people that we stop speaking it. And then if we stop speaking it long enough, we stop thinking about it. And if we stop thinking about it long enough, I think all of us can get to the place where we have forgotten the truth. And not just the truth that we, we know that we should speak to other people. I, I think if we do that long enough, we can actually start to forget the truth about our own feelings and our own motivations. We can start to forget the truth about ourselves. You can forget the truth about you, and I can forget the truth about me, and then it's difficult for any of us to find the real truth once again about ourselves as individuals, about ourselves as a community, about ourselves and our relationships to God, about ourselves and our relationships to one another. We forget who we really are and who we really want to be. That is what we have been wrestling with for the last month in this series that we're calling True Identity. This, this moment of truth where we admit that we have lost our way, that, that there are times where we end up settling for an identity that is a counterfeit version. It might be something that we, we can describe well to other people. It might be a, a story that we can live out in, in short bursts while we're around other people. But the truth about who we really are is deeper than that. And it's more complex than that. And we run away from that at times. We don't share it with one another. We don't speak it to one another. And we start to lose our way. And in moments like that, the best thing I know to do as a Christian disciple is to go back to God's word and read the truth again and see if it can find a home in my heart. Open up your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 5. John writes, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, and yet walk, live in the darkness, we lie and do not live out or, or walk out the truth. But if we walk, live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us, not did purify us, but continually purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, we lie to ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, if we tell the truth, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, any eventuality that you sin, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, 
And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now we've been wrestling with what it means to be people who are honest with ourselves and each other. And I don't know a better passage that wrestles with telling ourselves the truth and seeing each other in honest and truthful ways than this section of 1 John. While there are countless reasons that we may be tempted to to have interchangeable versions of ourselves, there is a single practice, one behavior that can protect us from losing our integrity, and that is telling the truth. 1 John focuses time and again. It's this this ancient letter with an eternal message, a timeless message that says, if you want to be comfortable in your own skin, if, if you want to find a peace that passes understanding, you have to tell the truth. You have to see the truth. You have to hear the truth. You have to believe the truth. You have to live the truth. We have to be honest with ourselves about ourselves. And we have to be honest with other people, not just about ourselves, but also about them. And I, I find that, that that's something that's so challenging for us to actually take some time and reflect, to sift through our hearts, to figure out who are we really? Who are we honestly? And I think where this gets tricky is that we have a hard time understanding the relationship of how grace is intended to change us. See, I, I think we, we have this struggle in believing that grace is this ongoing, continuous presence in our lives that doesn't give us the license to just go on sinning. It helps us have confidence that in the moments when we do stumble and fall and sin, Jesus makes sure that that sin never gets to tell the whole story. Jesus makes sure that that sin doesn't get to define everything of who we are. And we're not only thankful for that truth, but we live into that truth. And it's when we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that no matter how we we mess up, how many mistakes we make, how many times we lose our way, that Jesus is faithfully loving us and calling us back to a certain way of life That's not just a way of life that's about following rules so we can say that we're good at following rules. It's a way of life that's shaped by a a self-giving love that, that drives everything we do and everything we say. That it is the best way of life. That once we can accept that and believe it, grace doesn't give us license to sin because we're not people who want to sin anymore anyway. Grace comforts us in the moments when we see the truth that we still wrestle and struggle with sin in our lives. But it doesn't define who we are. It doesn't get to say who we are anymore. Now, if you struggle with with holding on to that like I do, what what happens is you try your very hardest to be perfect and you trick yourself into believing you really can't pull that off. Till you don't. And then you're tempted to pull off a, a cover-up, right? Because you know you're not perfect, but you're pretty sure, even though you're wrong about this, you're pretty sure that other people still think you're perfect. 
And you want to keep that going as long as you possibly can. Okay, how, how does any of that lead to a peaceful life where you rest in God's grace? The gospel is not managing your sin in such a way where nobody else thinks you have any more sin in your life. That's not the gospel. It's been called by many people the false gospel of sin management. That's, that's not what we want. We don't want to manage our sin, and we don't want to mask our sin. We want to confess our sin. We want to name our sin and believe that God is greater than our sin. Now, the difficulty becomes we're, we're, we're tempted to play these games of image and, and how other people see us and what other people think of us. By the way, you cannot control how other people see or think of you. We try really hard to do that. I try really hard to do it. You can't do it. So we've got to be, get real honest here. We've got to be real honest here. Are you somebody who through baptism and through your commitment to God, are you trying to walk in the light, to live in the light, and you have moments where you stumble and fall? Or are you somebody who is living and walking in darkness, who sometimes manages to pull off some pretty decent things and then feel good about it? Because those are two radically different ways of life that at a distance might kind of look the same, because they're mixed, right? They, they have good and bad. They have light and dark. But the direction those lives is headed couldn't be farther apart. So are you somebody who's living in the light by God's grace and you still stumble and fall and then God's grace helps pick you up again and you continue on in the way of, of life and light? Or are you somebody who is really living in the darkness? You're a self-focused pragmatist who happens to go to church on Sunday morning and hope that God will get you what you want in the end. Man, that's difficult. It's really, really hard for us to be honest with ourselves at that level. And here's what I, I believe about, about all the people in this room that I know. We are... We are trying our hardest to be Christ-like, and we sometimes mess up and do unchrist-like things, but we want to be better. And if that's who you are, I want you to hear clearly this morning, you are living in the light. And it's not something you pulled off. It's not something you managed to achieve. It's a gift. You are living in the light. Okay? Now, one of the the ways we keep living in the light that God has, has given us, that way of life that God has given us, is we tell the truth about the things in us that have nothing to do with the light. Because we believe that God isn't done with us yet, that God isn't through with us yet, that transformation is still unfolding. So we tell the truth about the things we don't really want to even think about or talk about we tell the truth so we can start to live the truth. And I just, I want to close by offering you four basic areas that I think that we, as, as, as people who want to live the truth, want to live honest lives in light of God's grace, there's four basic areas that we're going to have to start telling the truth. 
The first is that we need to be honest about what we do. Not spin it. Not try to, to, to deny it. I, I think we, we're going to have to tell the truth first to ourselves and then to other people about what we actually do, how we actually behave. We are really good at pretending like all we do is good stuff all the time. That, that nothing we do is selfish. That, that nothing we do is primarily about us, even if it, it makes life harder on somebody else. We've got to start saying, no, you know what? This thing that I just did, it was wrong. It was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. I, I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't have treated you that way. I was mostly looking out for myself and it ended up hurting you and I'm sorry. It was a mistake. I, I think we, we teach our children to apologize that way. But somewhere along the line in growing up, we learn how to apologize without really apologizing. I'm sorry if what I did hurt you. Do you hear how I'm kind of apologizing, but I'm kind of making it your fault for being sensitive? I'm sorry for what I did. It was wrong. I'm going to try my hardest to partner with God and not do it again. Right? And again, not because God's keeping some report card on, on me that he's, he's going to hold against me, but because God loves me and wants me to, to be a loving person, and I want to be a loving person, so I'm sorry. First John tells us, look, you have a God who knows everything about you anyway, and you're still trying to spin what's going on in your life. God knows the truth, but you need to tell God the truth. If you're going to have an open and honest relationship with him. We have to find a way to name and confess the things in our lives that we know don't have anything to do with what God wants us to be doing. Brothers and sisters, we gossip around here. We gossip. We shouldn't do that. We know we shouldn't do it. We come up with reasons why it's okay we're doing it. We have no problem calling somebody else across the room a gossip. But don't call me a gossip. I'm just informing you. Right? More than anything else in my life, you know the one sin I've seen tear churches apart from top to bottom? Gossip. It's wrong. We do it. We need to quit making excuses about it. If we have something going on in our hearts where we're holding something against somebody else in this church, we better love Jesus enough to love them enough to go tell them the truth in a loving way. And if we're not willing to do that, we don't have a right to talk about them to anybody else. There are times that I hear us share stories about other people that we have no right sharing. They're not our stories to share. We need to stop. I need to stop. You need to stop. We, we have moments where we demand our own way, even if we know it's not a better way for anybody else. Because we just feel like we're that, I'm that important. What I want is that important. I know better than anybody else. And we don't really listen to one another. We don't really accept one another, welcome one another into our hearts the way God wants us to. There are other times, we, we might dress it up in nicer sounding language, but 
we give people ultimatums, right? We tell them, or else. You do what I want you to do. You make the decision I want you to make, or else. I'm going to make life really hard on you. I'm going to make you regret it. We need to stop treating each other that way. We betray one another if it'll get us ahead or if it'll help us win. We're not above blaming a friend or a coworker or even our spouse. If we've done something we really don't want to own up to, to having done, and if we can kind of spread the blame around, we'll do that. And then on the other side of that, we'll take way too much credit for things that really doesn't, that, that credit isn't ours to take, that other people have worked really hard to, to help something amazing happen. And yet if you listened, if you overheard us telling that story to somebody else, you'd think we did it all on our own. Do you, do you get the sense of how much of this is still tied to how other people see us? How much of our sin is wrapped up in lying? It's difficult. It's, it's hard. And I'm guessing you didn't come this morning wanting to be called a sinner. But we sin. You sin. I sin. And First John tells us that we admit our sins, not just not so we'll feel guilty and, and then feel like, okay, I confessed the wrongdoing, so now I've I've been punished by feeling guilty for the wrong that I did. That that that's the wrong way to think about confession. We confess not to feel guilty, but because we need to act out our trust that we don't just speak the truth, but we love the truth. And our truth is a person named Jesus Christ who doesn't just live the truth, but knows the full truth about us and has promised us that when we tell the truth about ourselves freely, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us and purify us from that sin. Why wouldn't we confess? If confession is the bridge to freedom, why wouldn't we tell the truth? I think it's because we doubt that that Jesus is faithful and just and will always forgive us and purify us. Oh, we have little faith. We need to believe. We need to believe, brothers and sisters, that it's when we, we can speak the truth and experience the acceptance of God in spite of that truth that we can start to really be who we've always been hoping we could be. We need to be honest about what we do, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the place we're going to have to start if we're ever going to start to get better. Okay, second, we need to be honest about why we do what we do. This is especially important when it comes to good things we do for other people. Are we helping them out out of a true concern for them because they need some help? Or are we helping them out because we'd like for that person to owe us a favor later? Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, when he's talking about love, he says, keep no record of wrongs. I think that's good. I think it's dangerous to keep records at all. Sorry to the accountants out there. I'm talking about relational records. Okay, it's one thing to say I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs against somebody else in a relationship. It's another thing to keep a record of my rights to you that you should be grateful for. <laughs> but most of us keep a pretty full ledger on both sides. 
it's interesting, my side of the ledger is all good, and your side of the ledger is all the wrongs. And for some reason, I think that you owe me. Why do we do what we do? I I think some of the, the most difficult things in our relationships is so many of our friendships and even our marriages are predicated on me getting something out of this that I need, that I want. And if I don't get what I want out of this, then I'm done. Our deepest, closest relationships should never be, as Christian people, should never be about what we can get. It should always be about what we can give. You shouldn't need to get anything from anyone ever again because of everything that Jesus has already given you. Stop keeping records. Okay, now that's, that's when we do good things for not so good reasons. But what about when we gossip, for instance? When we say something about somebody else that's judgmental and condemning and it's the, to someone who we, we know will, will listen to us. I, I think we've got to wrestle then with why are we doing that? Are we so insecure in who we are and our worth in in God's eyes that that we start to make ourselves try to feel better by running somebody else down and make them seem worse to us? You know, it's a temptation to constantly minimize our shortcomings and and to really shine a spotlight on all the ways that somebody else is, is not yet perfect. Who does that help? Who does it help? I I do want to say this to you. You and I never, whether it's good or bad, we never do anything out of simple, straightforward motivations. It's always complex and there's stuff going on in our hearts that we don't fully understand. Have you ever said something to someone and you wonder where that came from? It came from your heart. It came from a place in your heart that you haven't faced up to yet. And so we have got to find a way to to sift through all of the places in our hearts of what's driving us, what's causing us to feel the way we do, what's motivating us to treat somebody the way we are. Some of those motivations are going to be good. Some of those motivations are going to be from God. Some of those motivations are going to be light. But some of those motivations are going to be darkness. And until we take the time to sift through all of the things we're feeling, now I want to tell you now, no matter how long we try to to figure that stuff out, there's always going to be things inside of us that we miss. It's why we're in a relationship with each other. It's why we're, we're in a loving relationship with God, for somebody outside of us to be able to help us see the things about us that we can't yet see about ourselves. But it's got to start somewhere inside of each one of us where we want to figure out not just what we do, but why we do what we do. Third, we've got to be honest about our failures. Now, when I say this, I don't mean a a moral mistake, because I've already beaten you up about that in the first two. I'm talking about times in your life, not, not moral, but just times in your life where you set a goal and you've tried your hardest and you've failed. You know, we all have those times, right? We all have times at work where we set a goal and, and we get a lot of people on board and we had a lot of resources behind something and we're just simply not able to achieve what it is we set out to do. Man, those are hard moments to have to realize. I, I tried my, I, I did all I could do. I thought it, about it in all the ways I could think about it. I tried to develop the, the best strategic plan. It just didn't work. But being able to say out loud, I tried as hard as I knew how to try, and I just couldn't do it. That's an important thing to be able to to say, to face up to. 
You know, if it's not work, I think sometimes it's, it's that you try your hardest to help somebody you love understand how much they mean to you and you realize you're not getting through. And it's probably better for you to admit. It is better for you to admit. I've, I've tried and, and everything I've tried so far hasn't worked. Right, so you can start to think about another way to try. Maybe it's that, that as silly as this might sound in church, that you, you tried, you're trying to get healthier, right? You're trying to you know, a workout plan. Uh, you, you wouldn't know anything about this, Mark, trying diets and workout plans and all that kind of stuff. But all of us have had moments, right, where we look in the mirror, we don't like exactly what we're seeing there, and we think, okay, this year is the year. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to exercise. And week three, week four, you start coming up with elaborate excuses for why you need chocolate, ice, something. Who wants to admit, I tried that and I, I didn't make it. I think we need to be able to say that. Now, here's the thing. Again, we can say these things because we believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves us with all of our failures included. But it's really important, not just for us to admit our failures, to be honest about our failures to ourselves. I think where this becomes really important in community and relationship is, you need to hear me admit that I have failed. Because you know you failed. And you need to know that other people you respect and look up to fail as well. And you need to know that those failures, again, because of the grace of God, don't have to define who we are. Right? That nobody's perfect except for Jesus. Nobody's perfect. And there's something good about realizing that. Okay, and last, we need to be honest about our fears. Because we do things we don't like admitting we've done. Because we, we have these times in our life where our motivations are less than pure. And because we all have stories where we have tried our hardest only to fail, you and I run around with all kinds of anxieties and fears about it happening again, about us slipping up again, uh, about us, us trying our hardest and everybody seeing, and we, we don't quite make it again. Right? We don't want to be there ever again. And so in especially relationships, we become incredibly scared to death of taking a risk, of stepping out in faith and believing that telling the truth to somebody I love, somebody who loves me, that that is always the best way for us to build a deeper relationship. That I don't maintain relationships because all you know about me is a carefully designed version of myself that I think you're going to find attractive. No, 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 no. If I'm going to really be me, the me that God wants me to be, the, the honest me, then you're going, to have to, you're going to have to see all of it. And I'm going to have to trust that this really is how we were designed to live in relationships with each other. What are you afraid of? Now, when I ask that question, I don't, I don't just mean out there somewhere in the world. I don't mean you get to push off your fear on somebody else and their, their behavior or their, their activity right now. I'm just talking about in your own life, with your own heart, with your own life, style and actions and decisions. What are you most afraid of happening? Only you can, can answer that question. Here's, here's what I want to say to you. What God says over and over and over to people who are feeling overwhelmed at the risk that's involved in telling the truth is don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid. We have to overcome our fear of being open and honest and still being loved. Because Jesus lived and died and rose again to create a place, a people, a community where that can really happen. That's what the church can be if we'll all start telling the truth. If we'll all share not just our truth, but the gospel truth. Blended with the the honest truth of our lives. Believing that the gospel truth is more powerful. That that it's lasting. That it is the foundation. And and it's it's not just the, the road that we walk down, but it's the sky above us. It's the future that's waiting out there for us. That we need to be people who have the courage to believe that when God says that when we tell the truth, we will be loved and accepted not only by him, but by his people. That that's not only something that's comforting news to us. It is also an encouragement. It is a call. It is a challenge to make sure that if there's one place on the face of this earth that you can tell the truth and be safe, it's here. It's here with these people, these imperfect people who are trying their best to follow Jesus and stumbling some along the way, but because of God, get to live in the light. That's who we are, brothers and sisters. That's who we really are, and it's who we want to be. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, we're going to have some shepherding couples waiting just outside of these double doors to talk with you, to pray with you. If you want to know more about what it would, would mean to become a follower of Jesus, uh, we, we want to talk to you about baptism and, and what it means to be people who live baptized lives, lives that are shaped by the cross. If you came this morning and you've got good news that you want to talk with a shepherding couple about and, and pray a prayer of thanksgiving, whatever it is that you might want to have— happen between you and a Christian couple in terms of a conversation and a prayer. We want you to go to them as together we stand and sing. Create in me a clean